And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Dale Wallace, founding partner of Wallace, Jordan, Ratliff, and Brandt. The best day is about a three-hour quiet time where I spend time praying, reading scripture, memorizing scripture. This morning I started at 3.30, not because I don't set a clock anymore, but God will wake me up, but I don't fight that. I get up and go spend time with the Lord, and it was probably four hours this morning. That's just the best time of the day for me. You know, I wish it didn't end most days. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We'd like to welcome you to today's program. And if you're a new listener here at Bottom Line Faith, welcome. We hope and pray that you're going to be encouraged as you learn from some of America's top Christian business and marketplace leaders, how they live out their faith every day in the marketplace. If you're a long-term listener, you know that we have been blessed to travel the country and visit with some of the most amazing CEOs and marketplace leaders and attorneys and accountants and uh, entrepreneurs across the country and celebrities of all sorts who are intentionally living out their faith every day in the marketplace. And the analogy that we like to use here at uh, Bottom Line Faith is uh, that we like to say we're going to lift the hood and we're going to tinker around like a mechanic would in the engine of Christian leadership. What makes these godly leaders tick? How do they succeed? How do they fail? How do they live out their faith on a daily basis? So check out all the other interviews at bottomlinefaith.org. You can become a subscriber at the iTunes store, at Google Play, at Stitcher, and most of the platforms on social media. You can subscribe there as a listener to Bottom Line Faith. If you are a Christ follower and you are a business owner, president, CEO, and you want to know what it means and what it looks like to live out your faith in and through the leadership of your company, check out truthatwork.org and learn about our roundtables. Truth at Work is the sponsoring ministry of the Bottom Line Faith program. So folks, we are in Birmingham, Alabama. This is becoming, it feels like a home away from home. I've had several trips down here over the last few years. We have a great Truth at Work chapter down here and a great leader, James Justice. And uh, we, as I like to say, we are not only in the Bible Belt, we are in the buckle, the polished brass shining buckle in the Bible Belt. And God has placed some amazing leaders in the marketplace here. And today, our guest is absolutely one of the most uh, influential Christ followers in the marketplace. Folks, we are speaking with Dale Wallace. He is the founding partner at Wallace, Jordan, Ratliff, and Brandt, a, a firm, uh, a legal counsel firm here. We're going to talk about that in Birmingham. Dale, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. It's great to be here. Well, you, uh, you're a native of Birmingham, uh, but you had a little stint where you didn't live here. But why don't you just give us a little bit of your background, a little bit of your journey, uh, and what, tell us about your firm. Uh, glad to do so. I, I grew up in Birmingham, lived here um, until I was 18 years old, finished high school, and I uh, began my undergraduate work at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, which for the audience that's not familiar with the state of Alabama is only about 50 miles from here. Um, I did four years there, um, and um, the, the Lord really blessed uh, uh, my time there and allowed me to do some things I really I hadn't expected to do. I served as student government president. Uh, I worked for um, a guy that's fairly well known, at least in this state, by the name of Paul Bryant. I was assistant dorm director at Bryant Hall, so I was around the athletic program a good bit, uh, and got to watch some really amazing things take place. I, I began uh, my studies at the university in 1972. That was one year after the integration 
of the football team. It was um, only nine years after a guy with my same last name, name uh, but no relation, um, George Wallace stood in the door and said, you couldn't come in, um, James Hood and Vivian Malone Jones, because the color of your skin is not appropriate to this university. So I was there as we began to overcome um, those um, uh, difficult circumstances and, and wrong-minded uh, leadership in the state of Alabama, and I got to watch uh, some very incredible men uh, and women um, bring about social change that was very important. Uh, so uh, that was all ongoing. I had a chance to – the president of the university, David Matthews, had uh, been asked by Gerald Ford to go to Washington as secretary of HEW, which was then the largest cabinet uh, position uh, in um, uh, the United States. I think there are only two or three countries that had a larger budget hmm. than HEW did at that point. But uh, Dr. Matthews asked me to come up and spend some time with him in between undergraduate school and law school, so I did that, had that government experience. I uh, got to do some neat things, got to go to the White House with him a few times and visit with the president and had breakfast with the president and things. So university was very rich even before um, I, I went to law school. And then law school was more a little more traditional. I continued to work for the president's office while I was in law school, but for the most part was a student. And uh, that was a little different than undergraduate school. So buckle down, uh, tried to be a good student, uh, had pretty good luck with law school, and then came back to Birmingham to practice law. So let, let's go back a little bit, and I'll, I'll come back and talk about the firm and areas of specialty in a moment, but I'm fascinated um, that experience that you had in, in at school when there was this incredible amount of change going on. Um, uh, culture was probably a, a, in a clash, so to speak, here here in Alabama, particularly. And those of us old enough to know about these things uh, understand that. What? How did that shape your faith? How did that influence your walk with Christ, living in that season and being engaged at the level that you were? I'd been uh, a Christian since I was nine years old, and I, I, I feel like uh, you know God uh, held me tightly in His hand. I was um, uh, serious about my faith. Um, didn't mean I didn't have struggles. I certainly had struggles, but I was very serious about my faith. But being immersed um, in, in a, a culture of very positive change, I, I would say very biblical change, um, was, was a great thing. Uh, you know, too often, you know, we think about the gospel in a very narrow sense, but, you, you know, you read what Jesus had to say, you read the Old Testament prophets justice, righteousness, social justice, uh, uh, overcoming oppression, overcoming poverty, those are important. Yes. You know, and, and sometimes the church is an either or. We're either heavily evangelical and uh, overlook the social justice side or we become social justice oriented and we forget about the evangelistic side. But um, And, and I'd, I'd come up in a very traditional Christian home uh, lived in a community that was um, uh, predominantly Christian, a lot of people serious um, about their faith, young and old. So I, I was pretty steeped in the evangelism side of things. I understood that well. Um, I, I, we, we weren't a wealthy community, but we were a middle-class community, so we hadn't been exposed to a lot of poverty uh, or those kind of issues. So it broadened me. It gave me a chance to really see... Um, 
what scripture is about more holistically um, and, and uh, particularly in regard to race relations. And uh, so I, I got to see that both in the student government arena and the athletic arena. And it, I, I'm here to report that it, it went really well. And it really because of the leadership of David Matthews and Coach Bryant who were absolutely committed to seeing. In fact, Dr. Matthews, who, who now had, he's still president of the Kettering Institute in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I see him a couple times a year. Dr. Matthews used to tell us, we're so glad to be past desegregation, now we can get on the real work, which is integration. Mm -hmm. And he meant that in the truest sense, so that all people would be integrated in, into a culture that sought to advance equally. Um, in addition to your, your practice at your firm, uh, you're still in, engaged in teaching at the University of Alabama. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this and leadership and social justice? And let, let's let's converse about that a little bit. I started the first year just teaching one course, public leadership, but the following year they asked me if I would teach a course that I'm still teaching. I would still teach both those courses, but uh, the second course was leadership and social justice, where we uh, the the principles of leadership are very similar. But what I call movement leadership is uh, much more of a flattened, uh, values-driven, uh, collaborative effort than, than you would in more traditional public leadership. Why don't you share with us a little bit about some of the challenges that you have in that experience, maybe in some of the shifts that you've seen in our culture? Talk to us about some of those shifts and changes and challenges that you face as a Christ follower in that environment. When I first started teaching, I was very candid to say, um, that the principles I teach are biblically based. I had taught in a secular context often, and, and I understood, uh, you know, the importance of uh, following rules, guidelines, laws, in this case in a public institution like the University of Alabama, where we don't proselytize. I was not uncomfortable with that, but I needed the people who were hiring me and supervising me to understand these were biblical principles. What do we value? You know, what is uh, what does it take to be a great leader? I think it starts with servanthood. The, the research proves that Christ was absolutely correct in every respect in the way he taught us to lead. Um, so that part was settled. I just need to make it clear that's what I would do and the way I would approach it. it it's not the skills of the professor it's the building of community and how essential and important that is for all of our lives. Yeah, that's right. And, and so when it, it doesn't require a lot of work, it just takes a commitment. That's what we're going to do. And people start telling their stories and they start trusting one another and they have confidence in one another and they're doing things outside of class together. And 10 or 12 years later, they're still in touch with each other because I don't know why, but the rest of the academy hasn't really figured out how important that is. But you can't read Scripture and understand uh, uh, anything but the importance of us connecting with each other. And, and how, how, have, how do you see God allowing you and your faith to shape, or perhaps if not shape, influence this generation that's coming up with a very, very different worldview? In fact, I was reading recently some Barna research and uh, their indications were that in this generation of 30 years old and younger, less than 4% profess to have a biblical worldview. How is God allowing you to help influence that generation? What you'll learn when you have students for 15 weeks 
is if they'll engage in that struggle, what they'll all find is they pretty much care about the same things. No matter what their orientation is on social issues, they'll realize that they care about each other. And, and most will even emerge with a concept that, that God is very, whatever the understanding of God is, uh, and it may be very different than, than yours and mine, but that whatever the concept of God is, that God is um, involved in that idea of loving and caring, even if he's not the preeminent uh, um, person for that that you and I would say that he is. So that part's really not difficult. You just start this process of really trying to struggle to understand our values. And once we do that, that's why we start with questions like, do you know anything for which uh, you would die? Anything else, anything or anyone outside your own family? We, we get them struggling with issues like that, and most of them come to the same conclusion. But then what that does is it opens up the dialogue for kids that come from a biblical perspective, whether they're true Christ followers or just walking in the traditions uh, of, you know, biblical tolerance, biblical faith, to, to begin to express their faith. And they, they, I think they begin to understand how deeply and rooted, uh, and, and deeply rooted they are in biblical principles. And you even have some people who are self-described as atheists and agnostics. I don't have a lot, but you'll, most classes you'll have one or two that describe themselves as an atheist or an agnostic. And they, they will even begin to embrace some of those principles. And uh, I recently had a student who described herself as an agnostic that said if all Christians acted like Jesus, she would be a Christian, <laughs> which is— Would you say that again? That's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> if— if if all Christians acted like Jesus, she would be a Christian. It's kind of like Gandhi said that, you know, um, and and that may have been where she got it. But I think she was very genuine about that. She, in other words, what she was saying is, based on what I know about Jesus, he was someone who loved. He was someone who fought social injustice. He was someone who lifted up the oppressed. He was someone who didn't seek, I mean, she would say this, these would be her words, seek white privilege, or he wasn't white, but, but you know, even if he was in our culture, he wouldn't be seeking, and he was white, he wouldn't be seeking white privilege and all these things that, you know, it, the, so many of the concepts that she and so many others embrace and spend most of their time articulating um, come straight from Jesus' walk on the earth. Yeah, yeah. Then they're not inconsistent. So... Uh, it's amazing to watch the students help each other with that. And it's not like I sit silent. Right, right. But I don't have to lead the conversation. I don't have to maneuver it. It's just a free-flowing discussion about what it is we value, what it takes to create a great leader leader, um, in in a culture, what it takes to bring about social transformation, uh, particularly in that social justice class. You know, I'm, as I'm listening to this, I'm I'm just encouraged. You know, because because sometimes I have to admit my faith uh, <laughs> wanes in that God. Have you abandoned this culture, God? Are you just like have you turned your back on us? And then I'm listening to this story and I said, No, He is strategically continuing to place men and women such as yourself in some of these places where. I, you know, you forget that God's still got those places on his radar map, right? And so uh, what I'd like to ask you then, Dale, is 
Um, one of the things we love to do here at Bottom Line Faith is we want to encourage other Christ followers um, who find themselves in business, in the marketplace. You're definitely in the marketplace in that, in that place, in, in the university, and of course through your law firm. But what encouragement could you have or would you have for someone who's listening and they're just discouraged? They're feeling like they're not making a difference. They're feeling like maybe, okay, I'm just going to give up because am I really making any difference here? And they're not seeing the fruit of that labor. How would you encourage them? We've all been there. In fact, truth be known, we're there probably weekly, if not daily. That's true. And and I think um, the things that bolster me or lift me is creating connection with, with other people. Um, you know, I think one of the great problems with the church now is um, even the best, most evangelical, you know, traditionally biblical churches – we fill our heads with more and more and more information about Scripture. And that's not a bad, that's a wonderful thing. It's absolutely needed. But if it's not in balance, it begins to lack a certain element of integrity. The balance is that we need to take what we learn and actually go and put it into practice. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not exclusive, but it's close to exclusive, that we do that by connecting with other people. Connect to God, connect to other people. And so if we're feeling discouraged, we probably just need to start serving more. In fact, let me restate that. No probably in it. Hmm. For When we're most discouraged, if we will find ways to serve, then that's, uh, that's the anecdote. You know, even I, I do a lot of work with uh, Christian organizations, churches, ministries. I was telling somebody not too long ago, they said, what does that look like? I said, well, the first thing you learn about pastors is everyone I'm depressed on Monday. Yeah. They've had too tough a day on Sunday. Some of them have preached four or five times. A lot of times that's the day that all the problems get dumped on them by the lay people. And, I mean, anybody would be discouraged or depressed. Well, the smart, the ones that are really smart and understand themselves, they take Monday off and they maybe connect back with their wives and their kids, and and that's good. But what what you'd say to even the pastor is, if you're feeling a little depressed, get out of the study from behind the desk. Go down and do some work in the inner city. Go down and you know and uh, you know go connect to go go eat lunch with you know people from your church. Go. Uh, go connect. If you like golf, go play golf. Just, you know, you, you, we need time to rest and reflect. We, you know, the, it's particularly hard on pastors because, in fact, I think most pastors need a Sabbath other than Sunday. Because <laughs> Sunday's always going to be a work day. Yeah. They need a day of rest. They need a day of rejuvenation. Sometimes that means solitude. Uh, you know, Ken Blanchard does some great work on solitude and the importance of that. But beyond solitude, we need to reconnect. And, and we sometimes um, we let the world define what our job is. We need to define what it is, and it needs to be in line with our purpose. That is some of the best uh, uh, word encouragement I, I've heard in a really long time, and I wrote it down here that if you're feeling discouraged, uh, the anecdote of that is to go serve. And so uh, thank you. That, that, I'm encouraged by that, just, just listening to that, and I trust that, that you all are as well. So you've had this amazing long, successful career. As you look back over the course of your career, 
What what's maybe the the biggest failure you recall going through that the greatest moment of discouragement, whatever the case may be, and how did your faith pull you through that? Another great question. It's a hard question. Um, as I look back over, I've been in practice thirty eight and a half years now. Um, I would say the times of the greatest discouragement all came out of relationships, and probably the greatest of that would be some of the struggles my kids went through. Got five kids, three oldest are boys. They were fairly close together in age. They tended to be very competitive, um, and and um, they they walked off the path some. Yeah. You know, lot lots of nights uh, that uh, uh, you know on your face. Uh, uh, sometimes as they were older, not even knowing where they were. But God brings great victory in that too. It's not that we're through with all the struggles. Probably going to start again with grandchildren. Got 11 grandchildren, so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. we'll start there. But what I would say is um, I, I'll point out my second son, son John. Um, John went through a really difficult time, uh, which uh, involved serious drug addiction. Uh-huh. Um, John is now a drug rehab counselor. He came to Christ. Uh, I had to leave him in jail for a while. Oh, wow. And um, not something easy to do. It was a great struggle because we could have bonded him out at any time, but we just decided uh, that that we had to go through that process. And um, uh, I couldn't be more proud of him now. Um, uh, he recently won an award um, um, a- as servant leader, uh, the go-to guy, uh, for a huge Christian ministry for men who are walking through addiction. That's what he does now professionally. Wow. Um, wow. So he, he, he's been clean for about eight years now. He's been a counselor for four or five. Um, I remember he did a small group. Um, it's probably the first small group he, he had um, led seven men to the Lord, you know, in, in one semester. So couldn't be prouder. But, I mean, th- those were some dark moments, too, for him, for us, for all of us. And we all go through that. But, you know, God's a redemptive God, and he'll, um, he'll take the worst and turn it into the best. Thank you so much for your just transparency on that. You know, so often we're afraid to, to share those journeys of brokenness, and yet that's when God kind of does his best work, and he shows off, right? right? Right, In those seasons of brokenness, and so thanks for that. And so that that's a word of encouragement, I think, for, for those of you who are listening, is um, you may be going through that season, that tough thing, but as, as uh, Dale has shared, God is going to pull you through. You just got to be faithful and now listen to what's happening with his son is... He's now broken that curse and helping other men and new generations break that curse as well. Well, Dale, uh, for for our longtime listeners, uh, believe it or not, we're at the end of our program. I mean, I don't know about you, but this, for me, this has gone fast. I've got some great notes, and this has been a great time of learning. And thank you for your faithfulness and encouraging and, and um, impacting our culture to this day, both through the university but also through your law practice. But for our longtime listeners, our, the last question we always ask here at Bottom Line Faith is based out of Proverbs 4, 23, where Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. And these were some of his last words that he penned. Among all of his great advice, he says, I want you to pay attention to this one. So, Dale, let's just set the stage, and let's pretend that you're towards the tail end of your time, this side of eternity, and you're soon going to go home to glory, but you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those who are most precious and important to you. 
What is that one piece of advice that you want to pass along as your legacy? Above all else... Let me answer it in two pieces. You bet. And the first piece is easy because I've actually done that. Uh, our firm uh, does a lot of work uh, with uh, coaches, and the Bowden family has been uh, one of our clients for a long time. We've done some work with them. Coach Bowden um, wrote a book after a tragedy in his own family where he wrote a letter to all of his kids and grandkids about don't miss heaven. And it really comes out of – a family tragedy, but also out of a, a tragedy where he lost an athlete and call, called a bunch of athletes together in the middle of the night uh, and, and actually talked to him about not missing heaven. Uh, Mark Rick was in the room, and I think Mark has reported many, many times that that was when he began to make his inquiry and later went back to Coach Bowden's office and led him to Christ. So um, I had a chance to talk to Coach Bowden about that. We've traveled in Europe a couple of times together on a television project, and I told him how impressed I was with that. And uh, so I, I was convicted. I went home and wrote that same letter to my kids. Um, and and don't don't miss heaven. So that's that's got to be the message. But the the second part of that, I would say this to to my kids, uh, grandkids, every listener. To me, I could not begin to be grounded in my faith if I didn't allot a, a time period at the beginning of every day to the Lord. And in undergraduate school, I began, I had a very hectic schedule, did three radio programs, short ones, but three programs a day I had to, to, to record. And I, my day had to start by seven, I mean, my activities. So I began getting up at 5.30 to have a quiet time. When I got to law school, it was a six o'clock start, so I began getting up at 4:30, and since then, you know, I, I've continued that. I don't have to rush off quite as quickly now, but the best day is about a three-hour quiet time, where I spend time praying, reading scripture, um, memorizing scripture. Um, this morning I started at 3:30, not because I'm, I don't set a clock anymore, but God will wake me up, and this week has kind of been more 3:30 than 4:30, but I don't fight that. I get up and go spend time with the Lord. And it was probably four hours this morning, but that's just the best time of the day for me. Um, you know, I wish it didn't end most days, you know, <laughs> and just, so to me, I don't know how you could tell someone else to be grounded unless they have some, you know, I've had people tell me that the end of the day is better. Not many. I mean, I think scripture says first thing in the morning, you know, I'll arise. And to me, that just makes more sense. But that's where my grounding comes from. And I, I, I have no hesitation saying that. Thank you. So I, in my notes, I found two, two nuggets there as far as your above all else advice is don't miss heaven and start your day with the Lord. Right. I Absolutely. mean, at, at the core. Absolutely. I just want to thank you so much, not only for your faithfulness, but uh, in serving the Lord and, and, and in the marketplace. But thanks for your time today. This was very gracious of you. Um, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to pass along? Well, I, I'm just just delighted to be here. And the only thing I would say is that um, I, I would encourage everyone to view themselves as a leader. Um, and the problem I have always seen is that I'll ask large groups of people, how many of you consider yourself to be a leader at the beginning of, say, a seminar? There's one 
common thread. Almost everyone fails to raise their hand unless they're in some elected or appointed position. They don't see themselves as a leader. Well, the truth be known, how could you ever disciple someone without influencing them? So it comes down to a definition, and my working definition of leadership is leadership occurs anytime we influence the behavior or attitude of another person. So if we embrace that, your grandmother may have been your greatest leadership model because she influenced you the most. So if we look at it that way and we see ourselves as leaders, then we have a chance to pass on our values to another generation or another group of people. And uh, that's where it all begins, in my opinion. I love it. Some of the best stuff for the end <laughs> that you say for us there. That's perfect. Folks, we have had a great conversation today with Dale Wallace. He's the founding partner at Wallace Jordan Ratliff and Brandt, and they are a uh, law firm in the Birmingham, Alabama area. He has been talking with us about his influence and culture in uh, at the University of Alabama, teaching a course in leadership and social justice, as well as through his practice. If you want to learn more, check him out online. And uh, let's just close with this as a reminder here at Bottom Line Faith. Um, we are so grateful for the opportunity to interview incredible leaders like Dale across the country. We hope that this program today has been an encouragement to you as a follower of Christ, what it means to live out your faith and to impact the culture in the marketplace. And certainly Dale is a great model of that and, and is an encouragement to us. So check out all of our interviews at bottomlinefaith.org. If you're a Christ follower wanting to uh, run your business on proven biblical principles and practice in the context of community, and Dale's talked a lot about community in our interview today, check out our roundtable initiative at truthatwork.org. We have roundtables all across the country. Get in community with other Christ followers leading companies and businesses. Well, until next time, this is your host, Ray Hilbert at Bottom Line Faith. Thanks for plugging in today. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.